How many know the song, Away in a Manger? What's the next line? The lay the is it okay so here's the controversy is it the night sky or the bright sky oh, and so did the angels didn't they maybe that's your homework this week if you are online let's, let's make this an online uh, competition if you think it's the stars in the night sky put night in the comments and if you think it's the stars in the bright sky Go ahead and throw that in the comments. And the rest of you can also uh, Google that in the audience as well. The audience. What is this? A, a TV show? I did it again. Congregation. Family. My goodness. Pastor Gary, get the language right, would you? <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, I just want to read some of these um, comments here just so uh, our online um, family can see them already. But uh, this past week, I meant to mention this earlier, I even wrote it down, of course didn't say it because I didn't look at it, but uh, we had a prayer request go out for Sarah Chappelle, and it was good to see her on her feet this week, and so we just continue to trust, and we, well, we obviously know that God is with you, Sarah, and he'll continue to be with you, but uh, thankful for your prayers for her this week, and uh, just thankful that God has been able to, to move in her life physically, and we'll just continue to lift her up in prayers, and uh, I'll let her tell her story one day, and uh, so I don't have to, because it's her story, not mine. But with that said, she says night sky. So she says night sky. You tell me if it's night or bright, and we'll go from there. And uh, you can keep putting those in the comments. But the song, Away in a Manger, First published in the Lutheran Sunday School Curriculum of 1885. Well, Pastor Gary, if it's the Lutheran Curriculum, this is a Pentecostal church. Why are we talking about it? Because it doesn't matter. Because it's about the kingdom of God. That's why. And it was 1885, and Pentecostalism did not exist the way that it does today. Anyways, now there was a lot of current controversy, controversy on who actually wrote this song, Away in a Manger. A lot of people thought that it was Martin Luther himself, the author of the Great Reformation. But after more study, most people say it actually isn't him who wrote the song. So we got some more controversy. You can throw those in the comments this morning if you'd like. Night sky or bright sky? Did Martin Luther write the song? Yes or no? Let's get the competition going here this morning. And so there is still a little bit of a mystery See, these kinds of controversies are good to have in church, the ones that don't have a conclusive answer. Now, I really, I meant to mention this as well, but I really appreciated Pastor Katie's kids' lesson this morning, more in particular her object lesson, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but does anybody know what is special about this particular Sunday for Canadians? Ronan. You have no idea. He just wants to put his hand up. Does anybody know what is happening today and that is significant for some Canadians? Nothing? To, not hockey. The Grey Cup. Who said that? Was that Greg? Yeah. Do you watch the Grey Cup? Oh, yeah. So we got at least one person today. And Rebecca texts me. She says the original lyrics in 1885 say bright sky. Is that according to Google? Did you just find that in the internet? You can't believe everything you read on the internet. Do you know who said that? Abraham Lincoln. 
<laughs> Look at that. Yeah, it's still it's a controversial subject, if whether it was James Murray or Martin Luther himself. Anyway, there's no mystery that this song for generations has touched the hearts of many for decades and decades and decades. And uh, we're going to listen, we're going to play the video for this song right now, and it's probably not going to be the version of the song you grew up singing. So you're going to enjoy this right now. Well, I hope you enjoyed this rendition of Away in a Manger. Um, Rebecca, why don't you come and share all the controversies and history of this song that you just have been texting me. If you want to know about this song, you just go talk to Rebecca or give her a call today. And uh, she's been texting the whole time. She's supposed to be enjoying this song. She's texting me up here looking at the lyrics of the song. But we discovered that it's either the stars in the sky the stars in the bright sky, or stars in the night sky. So we got a three-way controversy around this song this morning. But here's the thing. None of that matters, whether it was sky, night sky, or bright sky, because there's one line in the song that actually does matter. Does anyone want to take a shot at what that's, that line is? Anyone guess? You might have to look up the lyrics. The most important line, I believe, of this song, Away in a Manger, the little Lord Jesus. Not so much the little part, but the Lord Jesus. The little Lord, I think, in some ways, focuses on just the little baby Jesus. Now, there was a movie that came out a number of years ago. I can't speak if you should watch it or not, but there's a scene in the movie where... Will Farrow is praying to the little baby Jesus. And every time he says Jesus' name, he says, thank you, little baby Jesus, for this food that you provided, little baby Jesus. And this huge controversy breaks out at the dinner table. And he said, dude, he wasn't just a baby the entire time. He was a full-grown man. And he keeps praying to little baby Jesus. But there's a lot more to Jesus than some dear six-pound, eight-ounce baby uh, and rather than focusing on the size of the baby, I want to focus today on this line, Lord Jesus. We want to focus today on the Lordship of Christ and what that means for us. Because no matter whether we believe it or not, whether we receive it or not, and whether we live our lives to the fact that this is true or not, the truth remains that Jesus is Lord. Why don't you say that this morning? Jesus is Lord. Type that in the comments, Jesus is Lord. And as you type that today, I jumped on YouTube, and Aaron seems to think that the word is bright sky. So we have online, one for night, one for bright, and no one online is yet to say just the sky, just for the fun fact out there. But Jesus is Lord. In fact, in the New Testament of the Bible, from Matthew to Revelation, it refers to Jesus as Lord 740 times. Someone say 740. 740. Now, let's look at a classic Christmas verse. I'm sure some of you could probably say it from memory. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. In the context, this is what it says. The shepherds were watching their flocks at nighttime. Because if you know anything about a shepherd, they don't leave their sheep for anything, except on this night. But it's nighttime. They're on the night watch. 
which means it's dark out. Because how many know when the sun goes down, it's nighttime, and that means it's what? Dark out. And back in 0 AD, there was no streetlights that came on in the middle of the field. Uh, the cities did not have electricity, so there was no light pollution. So the sky would have just been brilliant. If you've ever been in the middle of an ocean on a freighter, I've never done this, but I imagine if you were to look up into the sky, it would just be absolutely brilliant and bright and beautiful with the amount of stars that you would see. When I was living in Saskatchewan, I'll talk about this story a little bit later, but I can remember walking just a couple hundred meters outside of the little town that the college was in, and we'd stand in the middle of the farmer's field, and we'd look up at the stars, and it was absolutely brilliant because there was no trees, no obstacles, very little hills. It was absolutely astonishing, the bright night sky, looking at all the stars. But here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, 10 to 11. You've probably heard this before. Do not be afraid, or you might know it as fear not. I bring you good news of great joy. For who? For all people. Today in the city of David, or the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the the Lord. The news that everyone for centuries has been waiting for has finally arrived. Who is he? Everybody says he is Christ the Lord. Say Christ the Lord one more time. Say Jesus is Lord one more time. Just in case you forgot the point today. So the big question that we have to deal with in our lives today, are you ready for the big question? If Jesus is Lord, what does this mean for my everyday life? All right, so I said a few minutes ago, whether we believe it, whether we receive it, whether we live it or not, the truth remains that Jesus is Lord, period, exclamation point, end of sentence, end of story. Nothing we can do, nothing we can say, we can change what we believe, we can change how we act all we want. It'll never change the fact that Jesus is Lord. Lord, period. But if that is true, and if we showed up to church this morning, or we're watching this later, and we want to find out what does this mean for my life, how does this apply? If we're married, what does it mean for our marriages if Jesus is Lord? If we're dating, I don't think, I still date my wife, but if we're dating, what does it mean if Jesus is Lord? What does that mean for our relationships? If we are in university, and many of them, I think, are finishing their finals exams, maybe they're already done. High school exams will happen next month. If Jesus is Lord, how will you act, behave, respond when studying for your finals? If Jesus is Lord and you're a parent, what does that mean for the way that you raise your children? If we're buying Christmas presents, if we're spending money, if Jesus is Lord and he's Lord of our lives... How does this relate to the way we handle our finances? And so on and so forth. If Jesus is Lord, how does this affect my everyday life? Uh, there's another word I want you to say today, and it's the word kurios. Can see someone say kurios? That is the Greek word for Lord in this verse, kurios. It can also mean supreme in authority. Maybe you're going to say that with a deep, authoritative voice. 
supreme in authority. Curios. It means controller. All right. This one's for you, all of you control freaks. Is anybody out there? You can put this in the comments. I'll read them right now. Anybody out there a control freak? All right, silence. Okay. Okay, not bad. Let me ask you this question then. Uh, If you answer yes to any of these questions, you may be a little bit of a control freak. When you are watching TV, now if you're single, it may not apply because, you know, you're in control all the time. But if you are watching TV, who gets to hold the remote control? Maybe it's really quiet in here. (laughs) No one wants to admit it. All right, if you are going on a road trip, whether to the grocery store or across the country, who has to drive? All right, if you're playing following the leader, kids, who has to be the leader? (laughs) I won't tell you which one of my kids has to absolutely have control of the remote when the kids are watching TV. I won't tell you which one it is, but when the other one is watching TV and the big one's not there, they're very happy because they get to have the remote control. Um, I know that there's some smart people in the room today. There's some smart people online. And I know some of you are even smarter than Pastor Gary, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, And some of you are so smart, and you usually are right all of the time. Anyone care or dare to put up their hand? Are you right all the time? And if you're not right, do you feel like you have to be right all the time? Mackenzie, put your hand down. I know it's a lie because you're a child. You don't know everything yet, even if you think you do. In fact, even when you were a baby, you thought you knew everything, just so you know. But how many of us think we have to be right all the time? Well, let me tell you a little story. When I was in high school and I was a teenager... My friends and I got together in our youth group, and we did a bit of a Christmas gift exchange. And then some of the other students in our youth group thought it would be funny to buy T-shirts for some of the boys that would match their personality. And some were just silly. So, for example, my friend Joel got the shirt, and all it was was a black shirt, and it said, I'm naked under here. And it was hilarious, because if you know Joel, it would make him giggle, and that was his personality, and it just made sense. And so we, we exchanged these shirts. And does anybody want to take a guess at what Pastor Gary's shirt said? It was this brown shirt with funky letters. And it said this, I'm not stubborn. I'm just always right. That was the shirt they got for me. I'm not stubborn. I'm just always right. I am a recovering control freak, just so you know. Recovering control freak. Learning to let go. Learning to delegate. Learning to give others the responsibility and the opportunity. can be challenging when we want control. Taking a step of faith, recognizing that Jesus is Lord, takes an incredible step of humility and takes an incredible step of faith because it's like we're giving up control. And maybe we find that hard to do because of our personalities, like myself. Or maybe you've been hurt by somebody that you've trusted. Maybe it was someone that you were close to. Maybe it was even someone from the church. And so you attribute giving that 
trust to God, to that experience you had where you were hurt or you were burned or something just didn't go the way that it was supposed to. And so you have a hard time coming to Jesus and giving him control. Now, some of those reasons are certainly very valid, right? Some of those things that happen are definitely not okay. Anytime someone misuses their authority of any kind in the church or without outside of the church, it's clearly unacceptable and not a kingdom principle or mindset. But the truth remains is that Jesus is Lord. And we have to choose to give him control. Jesus is supreme in authority. He is the controller. He is Lord. What does it mean to make him Lord of our lives? Now, technically, we don't make him Lord. I hope you realize this today. We don't actually make him Lord. God made him Lord a long time ago. He already is the Lord. We don't make him Lord. What we do today is we take this word and we surrender. Surrender to what already is. We surrender to the fact that Jesus is already Lord. We surrender to his lordship. We surrender to his supreme authority. We surrender to the only one who is really in control. Now, does anybody in this room or online have the ability to change the weather? I wish, some of us probably wish we could, right? Some of you want more snow so you can get the sled out and get going. Some of you want the snow to go away and want palm trees to start growing in northern Ontario. Nice, we already got the nice beaches. Let's warm up the lake a little bit and enjoy this Caribbean-like climate. When trouble arises and when bad things happen, what is your capacity to make those things better? It's limited, isn't it? It's limited by our finances. It's limited by our physical strength and ability. We can only do so much, and we can all rally around together. We can work together, and we can make things happen, and it's a beautiful thing. But at the end of the day, we cannot stop bad things from happening. You know, some of you have been on the fire department for a few years, and you know, even though you are really good at your, at your job and volunteering and responding to, a, to an accident or to a fire, you can do all you want to prevent that, but you have no control over what someone else is going to do, right? So I would rather put my trust in the person that created everything, the person that, or the God, I should say, that put the stars exactly where they are so that they shine at the right place at the right time, who lined up the planets just right to put earth in the right spot so that it's not too hot and not too cold, that it's just right, so that we could actually sustain life on this planet. I'd rather put my trust into someone that has control over those things than someone who doesn't, and I do not have control over those things. And so I would prefer to give control of my life over to the person, the God, who does. Are you with me this morning? I hope you are. That's my prayer is that you are. When you surrender, you relinquish control. Jesus is Lord. Now, there's two types of surrendering today. Uh, and I don't have a white flag, but I'm wearing somewhat of a white shirt. I hope that counts. I hope it counts for something. But number one, the first type of surrender is the partially surrendered life. Someone say partial. I'm getting you involved this morning, making sure you're awake. The partially surrendered life. It's kind of like the, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just right. 
lukewarm. It's the great battle over the thermostat in the house, coming back to the control thing. Who gets to set the thermostat in your house? Control. Um, probably, I would say, for the last, well, I would say since the inception of our great nation, I would say to, to the most part that a lot of Christians by name badge that would wear that badge of, of honor I would say that a good part of us have been partially surrendered. We probably fall into this category. And Pastor Gary, why are you being so harsh on us today? Because, well, I just look at some of the actions and some of the things that have happened over the last even 50 years. And there's a little bit more of me and a little bit less of Jesus involved. And every time there's a little bit more of me and a little bit less of Jesus, things start to spiral out of control because we're not fully surrendered. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the wise man and the foolish man. And there's this little kid's song that was written, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. And the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And so when the storm comes, what house survives? The one that's built on the sand or the one that's built on the rock? Well, we know when the storm comes, the waters rise and the house on the sand goes flat. It gets destroyed. But the house that is built on the rock stands firm. And so Jesus in Luke 6, 46, he says this to those people that are listening to him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Well, what did Jesus say? Well, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself, which is equally as important as he says. And so he says, I've given you clear instructions. We even sang it this morning, right? I'm going to stand in your love. We sang it in the last song. I'm going to build my life upon your love. Powerful words of surrender. Because God, we don't want you to call us out in, like you did in Luke 46. I don't want to be like the foolish man building my house on the sand. He wants them to move from words to action. How many of us, and let's be honest, how many love when people say what they're going to do something and they don't do it? I mean, I absolutely love that, right? Oh, you told me you're going to do this and you didn't do it? Oh, man, that sucks. I, at times, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. Nope. Forgot, didn't do it, got busy, wasn't important, wasn't on the priority list. I'm guilty. All right, we, we make mistakes. It's, it's part of reality. But Jesus wants us to move from words to actions. You could call it, this is kind of cheesy, you could call it lip service to life service. If you want something a little bit funnier to remember. There's many who would say Jesus is Lord but still want Control. This is probably a tension that I face regularly in my life of decisions that I have to make. Well, I know, I know what Jesus would want me to do, but this is really what I want to do. And I think I can serve God and follow Jesus at the same time. Um, ask 18-year-old Gary. Ask 20-year-old Gary if that works. All right, so we're going to jump in the time machine today. 
I, I learned this probably a little bit of the harder way. If we ignore God's voice, and if we ignore surrender to him long enough, it's not very long before God becomes silent in our lives. The day that we compromise with God and say, hey, I can surrender and call you Lord, and I can still have control. And so here's, here's the greatest kind of moment of my life where I learned this the hard way. 18 years old, I knew that in my heart, I knew that from my childhood, that one day I would become a pastor. And so to become a pastor, I knew that I'd probably go to Bible college. But, you know, I didn't really want to go to the Bible college that God was calling me to. And so I said statements like, I'm never going to go to Southern Ontario to go to school. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that instead. Because the ultimate end of it was, I wanted to do what I wanted to do because I liked doing what I wanted to do. Does that make sense? Probably not, but that's okay. And so I made the greatest compromise of my life. I said, God, I will go to a Christian university. There. I'll be close to you because they're going to talk about God all day long. They're going to have chapel so I get to go to and worship and, and hear from the Bible, you know, four days a week. And I'm going to get to do all of these things. But I get to do what I like to do and what I want to do. And that went really good for the first few months. And then I had to take Bible and theology courses. And I didn't really want to take Bible and theology courses. And so uh, I decided I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to not do the reading. I'm going to not do the homework. And when the assignment deadlines came in, things got a little bit dicey because the professor was like, hey, it's up to you to hand them in or not. I want you to do it, but I'm not going to chase you because you're an adult now. This isn't high school. You got to do it. And so do you know what happens to your grades when you don't hand in the assignment? Does anybody have any idea at all? If you don't do the job at work that you're supposed to do, what happens? You get fired, hopefully. Some places you don't, but story for another time. But the reality was, is I was ignoring the call of God. I was ignoring the fact that I had said, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. And I would even say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. And I got to the point where I would ignore it more and more and more. So the guys would come to knock on my dorm room door. Hey, Gary, uh, we're going to go to church today. Would you like to join us for the small group afterward? And every single time I said no, because if I knew that I got with a group of people, they were going to ask me questions about my life, and I would have to either lie and say, oh, yeah, I know I'm good, or I'd have to be brutally honest and make a change in my life, which I was not quite ready to make. Because even though I knew in my head that Jesus was Lord, I, didn't pretend, I pretended all I could in my heart, and I faked it for as long as I could. And finally, I had finally had enough and said, God, I'm tired of pretending that you are Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of pretending. I actually want for my life what you want for my life. And it was at that time that I met my beautiful wife. And she was a little bit annoyed with me, actually, because I told her this. I said, you know what? I really believe that I'm called to go into ministry and I need to go to the Bible college so that I could prepare for this journey of ministry. And she was not happy because she finally thought she did not have to be a pastor's wife. And then I told her, hey, if we continue dating and we get married, I'm going to become a pastor and you're going to also be involved with, with me that way. And she was like, fine, I'll be 
answering God's call as well. Maybe you see the pattern here. That one moment, I mean, it wasn't just one moment. It took a series of events to get to this place. It took a series of mistakes of ignoring God. And if you start to ignore God long enough, you start to do things that really are not pleasing to him at all. The fact is, sometimes we can really like where we're at. We don't like to change. No one likes to change. And the older you get, I'm not that old, so you tell me if I'm wrong, but the older you get, the harder it is to change. I mean, it's harder to change now than it was even 10 years ago. Oh, I can't really do that. I got, you know, got three kids now. One kid we could take anywhere. Three kids, not so much. It's a little bit harder. We got a plan, and I can't just do what I want on a whim. Or I'm just comfortable. This is what I like. I got my cozy PJs on now. I go to bed at like 7.30 now. I don't want to, if you go to bed at 7.30, then I'm going to take you out because that's too early, okay? But sometimes we're just a little afraid to change. So let me read you a verse that applies to the partially surrendered life. You've probably heard some of it. It might sound familiar from Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 from the PSV. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge him, and you can make your own path straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 from the partially surrendered version of the Bible. I have in front of me the uh, New Living Translation of the Bible, but I don't really like that one. Because it says things that are different than what I want to say. Of course, the partially surrendered version is not a real Bible. If you're kind of scratching your head, yes, it's fake. We made it up. It doesn't exist. What does Jesus say? Because there's no such thing as a, you know, some of us work part-time jobs. There's no such thing as a part-time relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want part-time followers. He says, if you want to follow me, what did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. He said, if you want to find your life, you must first lose it. You give it away. You surrender it. Everything, every last bit. You come under the lordship of Christ. He is the supreme authority, the one who says what is right. And he is the one who says what is wrong. He's the one who is the controller. He is the Lord of all, and we come under his lordship. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I, what I say to do? We need to take a moment this morning. We need to take a moment this week. We need to take a moment whenever we're paying attention to this. And we need to be really open and honest before God and put our name on whatever gap exists in our life. So Jesus, are you Lord of my life in the way that I raise my children? Are you the Lord of the life in the way that I am healthy? Are you the Lord of the life in my relationship, in my finances, in my future? All right, number two, we have the partially surrendered life. And number two, you probably guessed it, we have the fully surrendered life. Romans 14, 7 to 8, the Apostle Paul says this to us. For we don't live for ourselves, we die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And who's the Lord? Jesus. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. 
So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. My question is, how many of us in this room are alive? I don't see anybody not breathing today. If you're commenting online, I think you are alive. You're not dead. If we are alive today, what does Paul the Apostle tell us on how to live our lives? He says, honor the Lord. Here's the deal. When Jesus, who was not just a little bitty baby that was laying in a manger, he didn't stay in the manger. In fact, rather quickly, he had to grow up and flee for his life when he became a toddler. Have you ever traveled with a toddler, by the way, like a two-year-old? Yeah, it's a little bit crazy sometimes. Imagine having to flee your home and having nowhere to go with a toddler. He was a real human who went through real trials. He didn't stay as the little baby, but he was Lord of all. He grew up and he shed his blood and he died for you. He offered us the availability of the free gift of salvation by the grace through faith that we are saved, that Jesus is Lord. Salvation costs us nothing. It costs Jesus everything. But when you say yes to his salvation, you no longer own the rights to your life. You no longer own the rights to your life. You belong to him. You're surrendered to his lordship. Your life is no longer your own. You are no longer the controller of your life. He is. Jesus is not just the little Lord Jesus baby in a manger. He's not just the Lord Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We need to understand that he is the soon returning conquering, reigning, ruling, supreme authority, and he's coming back with a sword with a name written on it, and that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to mean business. We don't just say lord, lord, and do whatever you want to, because he is supreme, ruling, reigning, king of our lives. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of the world. Now, Let's look at Proverbs here, 3 to 5, and you'll know, I'm going to open it up from the real Bible here today. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. And maybe as I read this, Elizabeth's going to come and she's going to sing this song with us again, Build My Life. But here's what it says in Proverbs 3, the correct version. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend or lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Not just trust in the Lord with some of my heart, but trust in the Lord with all of my heart. Lean not on my own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know, there's even a better way to translate this passage. Because the word acknowledge, in Hebrew, there's actually this word yada. Which is kind of funny, because we say yada, yada, yada. 
But this word yada is actually defined as the word know. And not just like, yeah, I know that or I know you. We're talking about like an intimate knowledge. Like between Adam and Eve, between a husband and a wife, between humans and God. God, I can know you intimately. So in all of my ways, God, in everything that I do, in all that I am, I am going to know you, Lord. Not just acknowledge, but I'm going to yada you. I'm going to know you. From my innermost being, from all that I am, and all that I ever will be, I will know you. And all that I am and all that I have, I will know you. And everything that I do, I will know you. That's what a fully surrendered life in Christ looks like. When we make him Lord of our lives, we fully know him. There's a big difference between calling Jesus Lord and surrendering to him as Lord. And so as we sing this song this morning in this moment, as we sing this verse in this course, in this bridge again, I will build my life upon your love. My prayer is that you would make a decision not to live in a lukewarm state, not to call Jesus Lord with your mouth, but to live it out with your actions. That everything you say, everything you do, everywhere you go, Jesus is Lord.